Again, glad you're here today. Glad you made the effort to be here today. I uh, want to encourage you all. I do it every week, but I want to encourage you to invite somebody to come with you, to think about who you could ask to join, to be here with you. Uh, we want to continue every single week to see our men's lunch uh, grow. That said, I want, to, I want to be sure and tell you next uh, Thursday will be a rare day. We will not have our men's power lunch next Thursday. Uh, I'm going to go to Abilene and watch my daughter win a regional tennis championship. And so I'll be there. Um, no, I said win. I know that. Uh, so, so I'll be there, but I want to encourage you the week after that, we'll be back here. Uh, and, and so plan on that. You can come next week. I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you you can't come. There just won't be anybody here if you do come. Um, today we're going to continue our men's lunch, a study of great men of the Bible. It's been an interesting study. Uh, as we looked at these men, the, the truth is they are just people. They are just men. They, they are just like us. Sometimes we build them up and think, you know what, there was, there was this special thing about them or there was this thing that we could never be like. And the truth is they're just men. We looked at the, at the life of Abraham. Uh, we looked at the life of Moses, a tremendous life. Uh, last week we just finished up five weeks on the life of Joshua, a very obedient man over the whole course of his life. And then now this week we're going to move to the life of David. A very, very interesting life, uh, very interesting study more is written in the Bible about David than any other person. I don't know if we think about that. Uh, chapters and chapters in the Bible are written about David. Uh, David to this day is still considered the greatest king of Israel. They considered him that. If you talk now, they would say they still consider him the greatest king of Israel. Uh, the story of David and Goliath is known uh, throughout all of the ages. And, and the most interesting thing to me is that David, here's this guy who is called a man after God's own heart. Now, the most, the most amazing thing is it's not the people that called him that, but it is God himself that says of this guy, this man, this is a man after my heart. Now, that's a, that's a tremendous thing. God himself says this guy, this man, has a heart like my own. Now, when I hear that, um, I think, wow, that's a pretty amazing thing. Uh, what does that mean? I'm not sure what that really means. What, what would that look like? And what would it take for it to be said of you uh, that you have a heart that looks like God's? Well, uh, that's going to be our study. We're going to be five weeks looking at David. Uh, we start today with the anointing of David as the second king uh, of Israel. Now, let me give you a little bit of context. Uh, we've moved on some years from Joshua as they enter into the promised land. Understand, uh, Israel was unlike any other nation in that they did not have a king. They did not have a president, did not have a political leader. But as the people of God, God was their king. And, and they weren't like the neighbors. They weren't like uh, the pagan lands around them. God himself led them. God himself rallied the army. God himself protected them. And God was their king. And 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 12, it says, The Lord your God was your king. Well, that's, a, that's an awesome thing. Uh, the neighbors have people, have men. Uh, some of them have dynasties rolling through. But God's people have God himself as their king. Well, because people are crazy, uh, the people start to look around to the neighbors. And they start to see the, the, the countries around them. And they start to see the kings of all these nations. And really, it's just a sense of jealousy. 
Uh, they see the splendor of the king. They see the, the flags and the trumpets that are blowing. They see the, the chariots that come rumbling through town. They, they see the great palaces there. They see all the servants and all of the stuff. And God's people start to become more impressed with that than they are with God. And they really start to say, you know what, we want to be like them. Yes, we're led by God, but we would rather have a king of our own. Well, God concedes and he tells them, if you want a king, you're going to have a king. But he tells them, if you're going to have a king, you're going to have to follow that king. You're going to have to submit to that king. He gives them some rules. And, and the Bible tells us that they choose Saul. Uh, he is tall. He's an impressive man. He was a warrior. And so God gives them the choice of their king. Saul is the very first king of the nation of Israel. First Samuel chapter 12, you'll see he's their choice God concedes, he gives them their choice, but the only time is they're going to have to obey and follow their king. The Bible tells us that Saul acts foolishly. Now, there's a couple things that he does. He disobeys God, he disregards God, and he really brings dishonor to not only God, but to God's people as well. Well, God decides that he's going to remove Saul and he's going to replace him. Let me read First uh, Samuel chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. Samuel, Samuel's the prophet of God. Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Had you done the right thing, you'd have been, your, your family would have been the kings forever. But now, verse 14, your kingdom shall not endure the Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So the account moves on. God's gonna choose a king. It's not gonna be the people's choice, but it's gonna be God's choice. Our, our lesson today I entitled, When God Chooses a Man. When God chooses a man. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to look at the first 12 verses of 1 Samuel chapter 16. When God chooses a man. All right, that's the context. Let's look at the verses. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. He, he tells Samuel, don't grieve over Saul. He's no longer the king. And he says, I'm going to send you to Bethlehem. Now remember that city. It's going to be important. Go to Bethlehem. And from the sons of Jesse, you're going to anoint the king that I have selected. That's what he tells the prophet. All right, verses 2 and 3. But Samuel said, how can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. You shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. Saul sa Samuel says, when, when I go, Saul's going to hear about it. And he's going to kill me. He's going to know when I leave the city what I'm up to. He's going, to, he's going to probably have me followed. And when he sees what has happened, he's going to kill me. 
Well, God says, take a heifer with you to sacrifice. Now, you really have to understand that in the context. Uh, part of the duties of Samuel, Samuel's one of the last, or he is the last judge. He's the prophet of God. He would go to a city or go to a region and he would perform sacrifices there for a grievous sin in the region. Most likely if there was a murder, he would take a heifer and he would go sacrifice it to pay for the sin there. Well, this would be a normal thing. And so he says, take a heifer, go to Bethlehem, find Jesse and one of his sons, I will appoint and you will anoint as king. It's gonna appear as a normal thing. Verses four and five. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, do you come in peace? He said, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Again, Samuel's the last judge of the people of Israel. They knew that. He is a prophet, the man of God. They knew that. And it wasn't a normal thing for them for him to be in their city. And so when they say Samuel is in Bethlehem, they wonder what's wrong. They wonder if there's a judgment coming against their city. And so they come in trembling. And Samuel tells them, I've come to sacrifice. He invites all of them and he invites the family of Jesse as well. Verse 6. They've all gathered. Here's verse 6. When they entered... He looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Verse six, they've gathered. The sons of Jesse have gathered. The oldest son, his name is Eliab, and he passes in front of Samuel. The Bible says that Samuel thought, surely this is the next king. Surely this guy is the next king. Now, he was the firstborn son. It would seem that he would have the right. He had the place, he had the position. Uh, evidently, he had the stature, the physical appearance uh, of a king. And so Samuel, the man of God, says, surely this is God's king. Verse seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees not as a man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, now see what happens here in verse seven. If we're picking a leader, especially today, if we're picking a person that we're gonna, that we're gonna exalt, that we're gonna lift up, we want good looks. We, we want strength. We want an, an, an impressive stature. We want political popularity. We, we want uh, a, 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 an attachment of of, you know what, there's grandeur attached to this person. We want, we want maybe a former actor or movie star. We want a, a former athlete or we want a, a person that's wealthy, that's rich. And we look at all of the outward things. We look at appearances. Now verse seven says, but the Lord looks at the heart. Verse eight. Verse seven, let me read it again. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees, not as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, the Lord has not chosen this one. 
either. Now, I like to think about verse 8. Here's Abinadab, and he has always been second best. He's always been one step removed from the, from the oldest son. He's been one step removed from the birthright. He's been one step removed from the position of honor in the family. And so, so here he comes, and here comes Abinadab, and he's been second class his whole life. He's been second rate his whole life. He's always been close, but no cigar. And his brother just got rejected. And so I, I picture Abinadab comes by, and he sees his older brother, and man, I don't know what he's done, but he's rejected And now this is his chance. Finally, he's going to be the one. And he passes in front of Samuel and he's rejected as well. His countenance sinks and he goes down and sits down. Verse 9. Next, Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Another brother comes by, and another brother comes by, and another brother comes by, and they've all come by, seven brothers. And Samuel turns to Jesse and says, the Lord hasn't chosen these, the oldest one, the tallest one, the smartest one, the the Lord hasn't chosen these. Verse 11, and Samuel said to Jesse, are these all of your children? And he says, there remains yet the youngest, and behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. It's interesting, the word for youngest in the original language in the Hebrew also translates smallest. There's one that's not here and he is the smallest. And honestly, that's, that's probably a better translation. You know what? He's the smallest in stature. He's not like Eliab. He's the smallest in appeal. He's the smallest in value. We didn't even think about him. In fact, he's out with the sheep, the lowest of jobs. Think about this. The man of God comes to town. That's that's quite an event. That's a big deal. He asked for your family. That's a big event. Surely Jesse would say, you know what? Get all of my sons and everybody take a bath and everybody put their good clothes on. The, The man of God is here and he's asked for my family. And he thinks so little of David. He could have hired, sent a hired hand and said, you know what, go send David in. We've got stuff to do today. He could have said, you know what, go, go get David. We're going to meet the man of God today. But he thinks so little of this last smallest son that he leaves him out in the field. Verse 12. And so he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. They say most likely he was very suntanned from being out in the sun. And the Lord said, arise and anoint him, mark him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Simple set of verses. Truth is this. God chose David. God chose David. Now see this. The the basis for the decision, Bible tells us, was one thing, and that was his heart. The the one thing that God considered was his heart. The Bible says that man looks at the outward, man judges the outward appearance, 
but God looks at the heart. So here's how we're going to wrap up today. So what kind of heart does God desire? He picks this guy so insignificant, his own dad thought, you know what? Let him stay out there with the sheep. We won't even ask him in. He picks that guy. His sole consideration is his heart. So what kind of consideration, what kind of heart does God desire? What was it about David's heart? All right, I'm going to show you three things. First is this. He wants a heart that loves God. He seeks a heart that loves God. And the Bible says that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart. I want you to understand God is looking for a heart that loves him. The yearning of of your heart would be for God. The longing of your heart would be for God. The affection of his heart is for God. He seeks a heart that loves God. It's a weird thing. Our hearts as humans, we figured out a way to divide them. We figured out a way to to give them to, to separate things and try to do it at the same time. God is looking for a heart that loves him. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. God seeks a heart first that loves him. And the second is this. He seeks a heart that is given to him. That is given to him. That is submitted to him. That is surrendered to him. Now I want you to see the progression here. It is one thing to love God. And that is the starting place. But it is another thing to say, you know what? I give my heart to God. I submit my heart to God. Now that shows up in our obedience to God. Now what this is, is a person that says, you know what, God, I love you, but because I love you, I choose to submit to you. I I give my heart to you. Now in our words, we would say this, it means that you are loyal to God. You are committed to God. Here's the truth. Now we try to mess this up. Here's the truth. You cannot give your heart to two places. You cannot give your heart to two people. And I I dare you, any of you that are married, go home tonight and say, you know what, baby, I love you, I love you, but my girlfriend has my heart. We won't see you at the next men's lunch. You cannot give your heart to two places. You cannot give your heart to two people. Now, we, we mess that up. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says you either love the world or you love God. And if you love God and claim to love the world and love the world, you know what? You're a liar. The Bible says you cannot love the things of the world and love God. That's what he says, 1 John. The Bible says you can't love yourself and love God. God wants a heart that is surrendered to him. Yes, loves him, but that is surrendered to him. He is above everything else. That's the second thing God is seeking. Third thing is this. God seeks a heart that loves him, number one. God seeks a heart that is surrendered to him, number two. Here's the third thing. God seeks a heart that is available to him. Here's what I've noticed. Those people, and we've looked at a couple of them, there's a bunch of them, that God uses mightily. And there's people that God uses, and and I'm talking today, and then those people that God uses mightily They know God. They love God. They are surrendered to God. But here's what I've noticed about those people. They are available to God. Notice here when he calls David, he's available. 
Go back to our first study when he called Abraham. He says, Abraham, leave your, your land back here. Leave your family back here and go. You know what Abraham did? He left. He was available. Remember the prophet Isaiah, he appears to him and he says, who will we send and who will go for us? And Isaiah stands up and says, here am I, send me. He was available. Here's what I wonder. I wonder how many of us, God wants to do mighty things in our life, with us, through us. Let me tell you something. There's a lot more to life than paying bills. There's a lot more than life than getting from one hump to the next hump. There's more than life to getting around this corner and seeing another corner and striving to get around that corner. I wonder how many people... God wants to do something tremendous, something eternal, something that matters, that he will be glorified through them. And I wonder how many people say, you know what, I love God? Yeah, I love him. You know what, I'm submitted to him? Yes, he's my Lord. But you know what, they're just not available. You know what, I've got some stuff I want to do. You know what, I've got an agenda I've got to work through. You know what, I'm available, Lord, I'm ready to be used, but you know what, I've got some things that I want to accomplish, and and this is going to mess that up. You know what, after I raise the kids, I'll be available. Or you know what, after I'm ready, I'm not ready right now. You know I'm not ready, Lord, I've got some things to get ready. Listen, God wants a heart that looks to him and that trusts him and understands, you know what, nothing that's eternal is going to, anything that's less than eternal is going to matter. And understands that he's the only reason we, we breathe is to bring glory to him. And that if he says, you know what, I've got something to do, you drop your hole where you're at in the row and you follow him. God's looking for men that are available. Love him, yes. Submitted to him, yes. Available. Here's the question. If that's what God seeks, could he use you? Could he use me? Could he use us? I'm going to tell you this. I I decided a a while back, 10, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, there's going to be a day, and I'm going to tell you what I I figured out. We were just talking about it. Time is going by like this. I I was 18, and then I was 26, and all of a sudden I'm 48 years old. Time is going by. I figured out there's going to be a day, and it's not going to be very long. If Jesus hasn't come back, that they're going to shut my casket door. They're going to shut that casket door. My kids may say something. Somebody may get up and say something. I'm going to pick some songs for some folks to sing. And they're going to shut my door. And I want to tell you this. On that day, money will not have mattered. Success will not have mattered. Stacks of people that thought you were something will not have mattered. The only thing that will have mattered on that day is, is God pleased with me. I want my kids and I want my wife to walk by and say, you know what, he was dumb as a rock. He was a mess. He could screw some stuff up. But you know what, when he committed to the Lord, he actually dropped his hoe and committed to the Lord. You know what, that ought to be all of our prayer. That ought to be all of our desire. Do something that matters. He's seeking a heart that loves him, that is submitted to him and is available to him. I'm gonna ask if you'll stand. I'll lead us in a word of prayer. Glad you were here today. Again, remember, no no men's lunch next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that you are kind to us, that you're forgiving to us, 
that no sin separates us if we'll confess it, that you'll forgive it, that you do not write us off, that you do not cast us into a big trash heap, but that you love us, that each man that's here today, you have a purpose that matters, an eternal purpose. Lord, I pray that we would, we would submit to you, that we would grow in our knowledge of you, that we would grow in our love for you, that we would be resolved, that we would stand on our feet, not as cowards, but as men who will stand for the one true living God. I believe the same God that dealt with David deals with us and is in this room. And Lord, I pray that, that when they shut our casket lids, if you haven't come back, that it can be said, these men didn't sit down, didn't sink in, didn't cow down, but walked with you, pointed to you. Use us like that. Shape us for that. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.